Hello and welcome to the uplevelmind.com podcast. My name is Drasco and I'm your host for this Real Talk segment where each episode I bring on a heart-centered entrepreneur and live on the call coached him through one central question. Are my business problems actually me problems? In that, I help them uncover why despite knowing all of the business strategies and having done all of the business courses, they are unable to get past their current revenue plateau. Each guest leaves with a deeper understanding of what inner narratives and patterns they need to overcome to realize their next revenue milestone. Without further ado, here's today's guest. Today's guest is Chuck Copenspire, who is the anti-professional professional as a sales coach, funnel builder, and social media analyst. He helps uh, underrepresented entrepreneurs find their footing in the business world and charge what they're worth. And it's Chuck's mission to show uh, that you can be weird, gay, and successful, and most importantly, on your own terms. So Chuck, thank you very much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Uh, just building as always, and very excited to chat with you. Awesome. Excited to have you here as well. Um, and just the, the first thing I would want to like highlight to anybody, whatever, listening or, or watching, like you were saying at the beginning, like off air, like, like I'm going through this rebrand and all of that. And like what stands out right away is like you own the whole like I'm different, like it, it's awesome to be different, like own your uniqueness mm -hmm. and since like visibility and authenticity comes up so often in both the client work and in the um like the podcast guests that I've been on, like how do I show up as myself? Mm -hmm. I love that you're leading with that because it's such a big thing in not just underrepresented communities, but like all communities and then highlighted even more in upper upper underrepresented communities. So yeah, if you want to comment to that, whatever, but that just stood out to me right away as soon as we began talking. Uh, yeah, something that came up, uh, someone this week asked me, like, you know, I'm, I'm a secret weirdo, you know, how do I, how do I be a little bit more out about it? And I joked with them and I said, I never had a chance at fitting in. So I just decided to, to stand out because no one would ever believe me if I tried to be normal anyway. Um, so for me, it's partly just leaning into, uh, like my intuition and natural inclinations, um, but for anybody who's kind of still hiding that they're a weirdo, I would say experiment with being 1% more weird tomorrow and see if anything bad happens or if you happen to make a new friend or, you know, discover something new. Um, I find that it, it tends to bring really wonderful, strange people into my life who I love a lot. And um, if you can think of yourself like a lighthouse for people who are like you, um, it becomes a little bit easier to stand out. Absolutely. There's always that fear that like, if I do show my weirdness, or if I am authentic, then I will be judged. The irony is we're actually prejudging before we actually do the thing. And then you end up realizing, oh, no, hold on, wait, <laughs> other people actually appreciate me more now. And sometimes, yeah, you're right. Some, some people do leave, but it opens up the door to so many like of the right people coming into your life. And, and I do get mean YouTube comments every day. I have for 10 years and uh, who cares? <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's not really relevant to me what someone says behind an anonymous profile picture. That's uh, yeah. I mean, that, that takes, uh, I'm getting used to rejection to like a whole new level. So mm -hmm. yeah, kudos <laughs> to you. Um, yeah. So then I'd love to dive into, um, you know, your story. Like how did you 
get to owning this, uh, you know, like just be your weird self bit? And how did you get to funnel building? Like, I'd love to know more about your story. Yeah, well, so my first business 10 years ago was illustration. Um, I had a degree in computer science and interactive design. So I had been building like flash websites and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't really like working for other people. So I tried starting my own business at 21 as an illustrator, failed miserably, uh, charged absolutely nothing and apologized for it um, and, and had to go get some straight jobs for a couple years. Um, and then in the pandemic, I decided to become a relationship coach. And so I got certified as a relationship coach and uh, learned that whole skill set. Um, and found that I really liked coaching, but I didn't actually enjoy coaching people about their relationships as much as I enjoyed coaching as a practice. Um, so I kind of fell back on my old skill set of programming and took some more tech jobs, kept learning more about marketing automation, social media scheduling, and eventually found my way to the ClickFunnels universe, uh, which I sort of graduated out to, out of, and I now, I'm, I'm partnered with DropFunnels, and I work with a couple other funnel sites that I like a little bit more than ClickFunnels, but the concept of funnels I absolutely loved because I um, used to build accessible websites. So anybody of any ability could use these websites. And so many websites, just from an accessibility perspective, it's not easy to find the things that you need. And funnels make it so easy. It's like a, you know, it's a swirly uh, slide from a playground. It's like so simple to get right where you need to go. So as an accessibility advocate, funnels made perfect sense to me because people of all abilities can find your button, then they can buy from you. Um, so I, I loved that. I loved the efficiency. Um, and so, yeah, I just got started um, building them for myself and then started building them for other people I had graduated from the coaching program with. And now I just build them for pretty much anybody who identifies as a, as a weirdo and wants to have a funnel that's not like every other funnel, but is kind of special and shows their personality. Got it. So like taking the, the, the weirdness that they might exude on their own and now not trying to fit that into a standard, you know, you got to run a webinar, you got to do, you know, whatever the, the standard funnel like model might be at the time uh, to build the funnel that reflects them. Like, is that accurate? I would say that's accurate. And also there's a, a two-pronged element to it. Uh, one is that a lot of the people I work with are in the disabled community or neurodivergent. And so traditional sales and marketing advice does not work for all human beings of, you know, for various reasons. Um, so I do try to tailor their plans to what feels most authentic to them in the sales process, but is also most accessible to them based on whatever um, accommodations they might need. Um, and then the thing that I've just added recently that I'm very excited about is like, yes, I do solve all the technical problems of getting a person to you, but I now also offer imposter syndrome coaching um, to help folks. Uh, basically, they get to practice their sales calls with me and I sort of gently help them get a little bit stronger, a little bit more confident. We practice qualifying calls first so they don't get on as many long calls with people who are going to say no, because <laughs> that can really uh, break momentum for people when they're starting. Uh, so that's been a really fun um, sort of a cherry on top that I think has made it a, a, a an offer I'm really proud of. Beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's such a cool way to combine such needed skills and such needed services and such a needed perspective, right? Like my, my girlfriend, um, she used to be a teacher. And when she would have special needs uh, kids, you know, it's like there would be frustrations amongst other people, whether they be parents or whatever, but it's like, 
yeah, okay, you're frustrated, but you're also like you don't know what you don't know, right? About like that that kid's experience and what they actually need to you know operate in this box of, of the classroom. Um, so the fact that you're doing that online and you're doing it in a different way, I think it's it's super cool and super needed. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I'd love to then dive into you know. There's a lot of skill sets that you bring to the table with regards to this. You've added different skill sets. You clearly have an idea of where it is, or it sounds like you have an idea of like where it is that you want to go. So what is happening within the business and within you as a leader of the business that uh, basically brought you here today? I would say the, the primary thing is that I can't relax. Um, I feel like I'm always running on pure panic. Um, to try to build at the speed that I'm thinking. Because, you know, it's like all these ideas I have take so long to execute and I'm really bad at delegating. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, I have people who are on my team who can help and I end up taking things away from them and doing them all myself. And so I just, I work too much and I don't um, really have a, a great quality of peace outside of my business. Um, I took a vacation last week, which really helped me sort of let go and, and realize it's safe, but it's still hard for me to not um, always be wanting to work on this. And um, so my work-life balance is kind of terrible, I guess is the, the short answer. Got it. And is this something that's always been an issue in other areas or it's only showing up in the business? Uh, well, I would say this is the first time I've owned a business um, and been a parent um, before it was like, well, if I'm working crazy hours, whatever, it doesn't matter. But now, um, you know, she has her daycare and then in the evenings, I'd like to be able to spend time with her and feel really present. But I feel like I'm, I'm just like, my brain is almost up in my office the whole time I'm spending with her. So it's, it's like before it didn't matter if there was balance and now there's like a motivation to unplug more. Got it. So technically this could have been an issue before but there was no circumstantial trigger to be like oh hey like look look here just it's just me i just do the work and and like that's it yeah and in some ways that constraint has helped me be more efficient with my time and i actually get way more done um but it's just i think maybe even the pressure of wanting to provide for her makes it hard to know when to stop got it so what are your thoughts when you are going through these loops I think it's that I'm, I'm not moving as fast as I want to. Like every day I'm frustrated that I didn't get more done. And if you don't move as fast as you want to, then fill in the blank. Uh, the speed of the internet will eclipse me and I'll be devoured by entropy. <laughs> I'll be too slow. <laughs> okay. So if I don't get everything done, basically I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like life or death. And no matter how much money is in my bank account, I'm always, it always feels like it's at zero because that's where it was for so many years before I, you know, kind of understood pricing. Okay. So basically the evidence, objectively speaking, circumstantially, doesn't line up with all of the thought loops that you have around that evidence. So like, in my bank account's okay it's way better than it was when it was actually at zero yet this part of me is stuck in the past and will not let go of the past yeah i think because i failed so bad at my first business i feel like i have to be so vigilant to not fail in that way again and i'm nowhere near where i was but i i just like feels like i 
have to protect myself from myself in some ways. And have you ever forgave yourself for the failure? Probably not consciously, if I'm honest. Okay. And when I bring that up, what comes up in you internally? Uh, it's funny because I feel like I've done so much work around forgiveness in other areas, um, but I haven't really thought about that version of me, maybe because it was so long ago, um, you know, almost almost a decade. Um, so it's it feels like something I missed, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I haven't thought about this version of me for a long time. It's in the past. I've obviously overcome that version because I have more success now. Yet on a subconscious level, it's kind of around day to day, right? Like it's, it's the part that pushes me to be vigilant. It's the part that doesn't want to let go of the control because I can do it faster, better than, than my team. It's the part that's always looking for money to make sure like there's always enough. And when there is like, maybe I need more because it could always run out. Something could always crash. Mm-hmm. So is it really true that I left that person behind 10 years ago? I think I feel them like looming behind me every day a little bit, like ready to, I feel like they're like ready to pounce and ruin my life. Um, Who, who's they in that example? Uh, I would say, uh, it's interesting. I So I read The Big Leap last year and it was a really big game changer in terms of me not self-sabotaging anymore. But I think the thing that's looming is the the me who's not so far away that used to self-sabotage a lot. Okay. So then the, the they in that example, like they're looming behind me, is that you or it's you and somebody else? I would say it's it's my own, what I perceive as, as weaknesses um, or even, gosh, I don't know what the word would be. Whatever that part of myself is that doesn't want me to do well. Okay. So I think there's more to explore there. So you care if we dive into mm-hmm. that? Okay. So my weakness says, right? So I'm going to ask you, okay, so who's they? Part of your brain went to, okay, well, this is an upper limiting problem, like as per the, the big leap. And well, it's also kind of a part of me that doesn't want me to do well. So from the outside looking in, the first thing that I would reflect back to you. So the weakness says is plural. They're chasing me. So is it possible that you're not necessarily outrunning the failure to not repeat? Like I'm not outrunning the repetition of this traumatic experience that went you know unchecked or whatever you want to call it now what i'm actually trying to outrun is the validity of those weaknesses still being here Mm. right because it was my weaknesses that likely got me to fail the first time they haven't actually gone anywhere but if i can always be a step ahead of them then they're never going to do that to me again so what lands from that I would say that that feels true in that I feel like if I ever stopped uh, trying to control everything and keep an eye on everything, um, that I would get overtaken. 
Um, even though, like I said, that vacation week was really good for proving to me that that's not true. Um, and I think my quality of life has improved a lot since then. Um, it still feels like, uh, yeah, like, you know, like they're hot on my heels. Right. And you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but to me, the vacation sounds very much like the rest of your circumstances. I have evidence that if I do this thing, life isn't going to crash. Just like I have evidence that I do have money now. So I have evidence that if I go on vacation, life's not going to crash. That thing that you logically understand is secondary to emotionally, like that's a no bueno situation. Mm -hmm. Right. So does that resonate with you or no? I would say so. Yeah. And I, I think it even, you know, to, to peel a layer back, like relates to, you know, even family members who let me down as a, as a kid who I, know that I'm made of. And so it's almost like the parts of them I don't like. I'm afraid of coming out of me and ruining things, if that makes sense. Right. So now with that deeper layer, right, the, the through line here is really judgment, mm -hmm. right? My weaknesses are looming behind me by default that that is a judgment statement. Like my weaknesses are so big, they're so powerful, they're, they're so relenting that they're always going to catch up. And if they catch up to me, it's all going to crash, <laughs> right? I have evidence that my family has let me down in areas that I wanted their support in. So there must be something that's wrong with me if my family would let me down, right? So it's like more judgment that's looming. So it's like the through line with all of the patterns. I can't let go of control. I can't delegate. I can't enjoy vacations right i can't be present because there's looming danger of something's going to slip through the cracks in the business it's all i'm running away from these things of myself that i judge or maybe even hate versus i'm being pulled towards inspiration to create right it's like creating from desperation as opposed to inspiration so does that mm. land in any way yeah, it, it makes me think of a, a line in a song that I really like. Uh, the song's called The Weight of Lies. And the line is, uh, the weight of lies will chase you, or um, what is it? If you run, make sure you run to something and not away from, because lies don't need an airplane to chase you down. Um, right. I've always liked that. And it also makes me think about painting and illustration. And so why I quit illustrating as a business is that I hated being creative on demand in that way frantically for money. And I love painting on for myself. Um, and I feel like when I am doing it for myself, there's more creativity, there's more expansiveness, there's more, um, like I, I like the output more when I'm not in a panics, panicked state, if that makes sense. 100%, because then there's no distortion, right? That there's no distortion in your creation. I get to create from inspiration. I, I want to paint. I want to express what's present in this moment versus the pressure of it mm -hmm. now distorts the experience. And I have to versus I get to, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you're experiencing that in the business as well. All of the pressures, whether they're circumstantial and it sounds like they're more actually self-enforced, are distorting my ability to grow. Why? The next level requires me to delegate. If I can't delegate, I can't grow. Therefore, I still have to continue to do all of the things to continue to control everything, I have to continue to constantly be present in the business because that is where everything's going to crash, right? Kind of 
creating that self-sabotaging cycle. So again, how does that land for you? Yeah, I mean, especially hearing you say that next level is delegating. Um, it's like when I read that book, I was like, oh, I've destroyed my upper limit. But it's like, well, maybe I found another one, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, the tricky part about that book is that there's always another one. Mm -hmm. It's literally as soon as you get to one place, now there's always going to be the next thing. And I think the part that tricks up a lot of people is like the same, like that quote of like, you you never visit the same river twice, mm. right? Because it's the, the river's always moving and or even though it's the same location, you are a different person visiting the river right so even though it looks the same both parties are actually different so bringing that back to like a more general example of your situation all of the things you thought you healed or let go of whatever the word you want to use you have in those contexts but now what's being asked of you to go into leadership it requires the healing of a different aspect of that right so again what lands for you there i think i'm realizing that part of why i'm struggling to step into that leadership role is that from that experience before of failing i don't trust myself and so i think i'm afraid of leading people because i don't want to lead them to failure also right so more of that pressure right and how could you trust yourself when so much of your forward motion is actually being fueled by weakness, mm -hmm. right? I'm outrunning my weaknesses. What is there to trust, right? Like the only thing I can trust is to keep running, but for to trust that I can hold people in strength and that they're going to depend on me yet. I'm constantly running away from like, it just, it's too conflicting uh, thoughts to conflicting paradigms inside of you that basically keep you at a standstill. Like, even though I don't like the place that I'm in, ultimately it keeps me alive. So I'll just keep running on this hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. So what lands for you there? It's, it's, all, it's thinking about, you know, more of that delegation and, and um, thinking about how some of the people that I've brought onto my team just sort of don't finish things I ask them to do. And I haven't really gotten to the bottom of that. And I i haven't felt compelled to push them to to do it, if that makes sense. Like, if they're not going to do it, I just sort of let them fade away. Um, and I think, to be honest, like, I don't know the first thing about, <laughs> about um, like, managing a team. I'm really good at getting myself to do stuff. But if a person doesn't want to do a thing, I don't know how to get them to do it. Um, and so I think maybe... Some, I've noticed sometimes I'll avoid doing things I don't understand how to do. And I think I'm realizing I don't understand how to manage a team very well. I know how to use a project management tool, but the human element, I do not understand. <laughs> and, and which I think is totally fair and great awareness on, on your end, right? So what I would just want to reflect back to you is, is there's two aspects really of that predicament or question, right? One is the actual skill set. Like, how do I get better at communicating what I need done, how do I get better at communicating boundaries, setting expectations, having check-ins with employees, like how do I do the mechanical skill type things of managing people, right? And it's, it's, it's a learnable skill. Behind that skill, 
is, okay, well, who am I when practicing these skills, right? Because if there's a part of me that, I don't know, maybe avoids conflict, it's going to be hard to practice the skill of setting, keeping, and refereeing expectations and boundaries, right? If what powers what I do day to day is the need for control, I'm not going to create the space where they can actually excel and or show me where they lack in their skills so that I can you know, manage and build up my team. Mm-hmm. And if the lens through which I make the decisions, whether they be hiring, managing, firing, whatever, is from running away from my own weaknesses, then everything is going to roll downhill from that distortion, mm-hmm. right? So what lands for you from that? What I was thinking of when you said that about you know, running from my own weaknesses and having that kind of roll downhill, um, it, it made me think about how I think fundamentally, just from like a lot of my upbringing, I really don't trust anybody to do anything that they say they'll do. And, but I know I can trust myself to do it. And sometimes I do it out of anger or out of frustration because I'm like, well, somebody has to do it. And so I guess it's going to be me, you know, and I think I, I don't even give people a chance to fail sometimes because I'll just be afraid of them failing and do it for them. So maybe that's, you know, affecting the, um, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, I've started by talking about not trusting myself, but in some ways I only trust myself, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. So again, great connection and just to, kind of draw some strings with with regards to like what you've shared today, mm-hmm. but like one of the sources of your woundings is my caretakers never really gave me what I needed. So that the key people that I was supposed to trust at the time that I was supposed to trust them, let me down, right? W- whether that's perception, whether that's reality, or whether it's some combination thereof is, is secondary to the fact that that is very real to a very real wounded part of you. So if you can't trust the people who are supposed to take care of you, how can you possibly trust somebody who is, yeah, okay, they're your team and they're your employees, but in the grand scheme of things, a stranger, and I am the one who's responsible for the end result. Like at the end of the day, like I'm the one that signs the checks, people pay me, I paid that. Right? I make promises and I don't break promises. So if someone's going to break my promise, I'm going to fix it before they break it. Correct. So, right. So again, going back to that distortion going downhill, Mm-hmm. you're right. I think there's probably like, before you even get to the management skills, if I'm not creating the space for my employees to do what they can do, mm-hmm. whether that's fostering environment where mistakes are safe, whether that's in fostering environments where they have to step up to grow, whether that's fostering environments where they're supported to do the thing or set the expectation or, or whatever the combination of like actually managing people lies fundamental part that holds it together is your trust of them right so that's number one number two going to what you mentioned about well i know i kind of don't trust myself but then i'm saying the only person that i do trust to get things done is myself so maybe i do trust myself what i would invite you to consider is that's not really self-trust that's a preservation mechanism like that that's a protective pattern that basically has a paradigm and a belief that the only person I can rely on to get the things I want in life is myself. Mm-hmm. That looks like self-trust because you're, you're you're dependable on yourself. 
But really self-trust in this instance is I trust that the people in the world is fundamentally a safe place mm -hmm. and I can navigate it lovingly. If I need to protect myself, I can, but fundamentally I can ask for help. Fundamentally, I trust myself to be able to be supported by the world and the people in it. So it's a very nuanced difference and distinction, but I think it's a very important one for somebody in your position to actually um, like catch or whatever. So again, what's uh, landing for you? I'm, I'm thinking on, um, I guess what came up for me when I heard you say that was that I was thinking about, so the way I started this business was I actually got laid off in June. And then because I was in Oregon, I qualified for a program that pays you to start a business instead of collecting unemployment. And so I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm feeling, I felt really like underappreciated. I was really mad about getting laid off. And I was like, they don't know what they let go and I'll show them, you know, I was like really running on spite, but also I was so afraid when I got laid off that I feel like for the first couple months, like I, I worked nonstop because I was terrified that I wasn't going to be able to provide for my family the way that I did when I was employed. And so it just, yeah, hearing you say that, it made me think about, you know, also I trusted those leaders a lot. I really gave them everything. And I, and they really like, to be honest, like kind of lied to my face and let me down and, and it hurt a lot. Cause I, I put, I put so much in. And so I think, I think maybe that experience made me afraid that I'm not as good as I thought I was. And so I almost was trying to prove it by working so hard, that whole success is the best revenge thing. Um, like I kind of wanted to be like, you shouldn't have let me go. Look at how great I am. And like, I'm not living up to my own standards for <laughs> impressing these people who really probably don't care at all. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And I think it just re reinforces the core wounding. Mm -hmm. Right. You hear again, authority figures, people are supposed to trust people that are have a supportive role in my life in some ways, because like they can fire you or they can keep you. So there's like that, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it, like there's a paternal element to that type of uh, dynamic. So here it is again, that they're not letting me down. Right. Mm -hmm. So while that sucks and it's not right, the part you do control is the fact that you're the common denominator amongst both situations, mm -hmm. right? So then the question is, well, what am I bringing to the table to have made that circumstance happen? Like, did I paint certain red flags green, right? Did I not stand up and affirm myself in times that I should have? Did I over deliver because I was trying to prove something versus because that's actually what was asked of me, right? I don't know the answers to those questions, but those are just things that I invite you to consider because that's the part you do control. You control 100% of your 50%, right? So again, what lands for you there? Yeah, I mean, hearing what you said, it was definitely an over-delivery. Um, if you looked at the numbers, I did 70% of the work of my department and there was no manager um, and they told me I was going to become the manager. And so I thought that if I did all that work, but I think I ended up being in everybody's hair and ended up being, you know, really visible in terms of, um, I was a support engineer and we didn't have documentation for half of the questions the customers had. So if I was answering 70% of the tickets, that means I'm bothering product and so-and-so 70% of the time. And so I didn't give anybody else in my department the chance to do half of that annoying work. And so I think that over delivery and that anxiety to perform and to, and to grow, um, kind of put a target on my back a little bit. 
And so yeah. I think there's a part of me that's also afraid of, of being, I mean, and, you know, to go back a couple layers in school, um, I was a, a gifted child or however you want to put it, um, and was, you know, beat up every day by kids for years and made fun of and ostracized. And so there's a lot about my story that has told me that being brilliant and being smart and being capable is bad. And so I think there's kind of that, I'm kind of squeezed between knowing I can be amazing, being afraid to be amazing, and also being afraid of the times that I have colossally failed <laughs> and also been, you know, rejected. 100%. And, and I think it goes beyond just a story that like being brilliant is bad. Like you actually have physical evidence to show that it's dangerous to be brilliant, right? Like I, I got beat up. Like I physically got assaulted and hurt because of something that was supposed to be a good thing, because something that is supposed to be like my gift. And then when I go and use that gift in a setting where I'm supposed to trust people, then I get screwed and fired because people are threatened that I'm actually too good. You know, so it's like, no matter what I try, there's all these things that keep screwing it up because I'm like, but it's supposed to work. So how can I trust the world? Right. Like it just, it's more evidence to really show that there is legit reasons to be how you are and to hold the paradigm that you do. So, A, I want to acknowledge you for allowing yourself to go there and to really like, like it's a brilliant display of self awareness to, and I know it's not the first time you've, you've dived into this. Right. What I'm just pointing out to you is even if it is true, is it useful? And then two, really, it's what do I want as far as transcending this? I think that I have found in working for myself, I can be as brilliant as I want to be. And I even had this crazy experience this week where I had an idea for a, an application and I was suddenly introduced to an investor who said yes. And they said yes within three minutes of my pitch. <laughs> so like that was a moment where I was like, okay, like it's, it's safe to be, you know, this mad, mad genius, you know, artist weirdo, uh, you know, on my hill with the lightning in the background. Um, like, I feel like I embody that mad, mad scientist archetype a lot. Um, but that also like that archetype implies so much loneliness, I guess. Um, and I, but I do feel that since working for myself, it has been really easy to find my people um, and work for people I like to work with and say no to things I don't want to do. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not sure. I can't remember the initial question, but I, I think working for myself has felt like a great container for being brilliant because the rewards feel, I don't feel capped, um, by, uh, a job and that, you know, I can grow and be agile. Yes. And, and basically use that brilliance to its full brilliance mm -hmm. right so it's not my own instincts because i run the show <laughs> correct right and i think that's a great point because this isn't about you know how i'm bad or broken this this is really there's a lot of things working for you because of these crappy experiences mm -hmm. right so that's like the, the silver lining in this and i think the part that i want to stress both to to you and, and these parts in the background is this isn't necessarily a situation of like, I got to fix myself to go from bad to good. This is really to go from good to great, right? Because the distortions of these patterns that haven't been resolved in the context for what's next for your business 
is really the pieces that you're exploring here, right? Like you've clearly made peace with a lot of these aspects because you wouldn't be able to openly talk about them the way you are if, if it wasn't the case. It's how are they affecting my ability and my momentum to go where it is that I want to go, right? Like the how is the trust affecting that or the lack of trust? How is my ability to not be present and constantly be in that state of, you know, wonder and worry of what's going to go wrong? How is my hypervigilance affecting my ability to be the business owner and parent that I want to be? That healing that is really the switch from going from good to great, from going from now to whatever's next, right? From here to there type of thing. So what I'm curious is who or what would you be without these limitations in place? The, the visual that's coming through for me is I, I feel like I'm imagining that my business is a, is a little match in a rainstorm and I have to keep it protected. And I think where I want to feel like it is, is like a, a bonfire that is like untouchable um, by the, by, you know, wind, rain or what have you, like, as long as you keep putting fuel in it, it'll keep burning. Um, and yeah, no, that's just the, the, Sometimes I get hit with images and that's what I got hit with. No, no, it's, it's beautiful. So why do you think you want the bonfire? I want the bonfire because in some ways it's a lot of work to set up, but it's not as much work to maintain. And I can trust that even if I took a nap, somebody else could probably throw, you know, a log on and we'd all be okay. Right. So would it be safe to say that you want the bonfire because in comparison to having to hold your hand over the match and the flame never goes out, a bonfire inherently has more security? Definitely. Yeah. And okay. it, it has more impact too. Okay, great. So let's just put the impact for aside for a minute because that part I, I, from the beginning when we started this, like that was abundantly clear. Like you're in this for the reasons of like heart-centered reasons, right? So I think that part's Abundantly clear, it's not distorted. But if you go back to the security piece, mm -hmm. like I essentially ask you, what is your ideal scenario if no limitations existed? Where your brain went to is, well, the ideal case scenario is I actually am just secure. I have safety. I.e., it's the exact opposite of how I feel on a day-to-day -day basis right now. A different way, and you can correct me if, if this lands or not, it is creating from desperation versus inspiration. It is, it's the opposite of the crappy feelings I don't want to feel now, that would be ideal. So is that really the ideal or is that really the relief from the things that you're hypervigilant and chasing right now? I think that is definitely a relief-based desire because I want to be able to relax and know that things are going to be okay. Uh, and like you said, you know, from that relaxed state, we can get more creative. And so I feel like I can't even imagine anything beyond the desire for relief. Okay. So I think that's a very important point, right? Because it's now like you're seeing how these patterns, these limiting patterns, how big of a ripple they actually hold, right? Because uh, I asked you a hypothetical question where really it's, it's, a, it's a genie in a magic bottle question, right? And the best that my brain initially came up with was just relief, 
just take the anxiety away, take the stress away, right? That's not really the best use and certainly not what you're capable of as far as like imagination is concerned. So yeah. what, what comes up for you there? I mean, if I, if I scale it past just safety, I mean, it's really wanting to have, you know, it's that lighthouse thing I talked about originally, like wanting to inspire people, wanting to invest in people, wanting to give people opportunities and, and, you know, share, share, share my story and share other people's stories that, um, you know, just really what I want is for everybody, everybody to be okay. And I really think that entrepreneurship is a path for the misfits to, to succeed if we believe we can do it. Um, and so it's like wanting the platform and the time and the, and the, the, whatever it takes to, to be able to share that message. It's not really about the funnels. It's not really about the email automation. It's, it's about empowering people in my community to be well, because too many of us are in survival mode. Absolutely. So now if you were to rewind this, Mm -hmm. Like, look at the difference in energy between that answer and the initial answer. Like, the first answer was, like, very, like, what a beautiful visual. Instead of the little, like, flicker of light, I have this, like, big bonfire. Like, how could you really argue with that? Mm -hmm. Yet, even energetically, it's very flatline, you know, because it's, as you've, you know, alluded to, it's, it's, a, it's a desperation relief image. Mm -hmm. And then under the surface, right, when prompted, suddenly there's this big, beautiful vision of, of what the business actually represents. Like it, it is from what I know about you in the short time, like that's the real reflection of who you are right now personified in a business. And that's a much more beautiful thing. So what comes up there? It makes me think about how I've been so focused on the granularity of getting these kind of small potatoes up um, so that I can start to make, uh, maybe reliable income, um, that I, there's definitely a tension between me of the, the visionary and like the technician, if that makes sense. And if I found the person who I could trust to be the technician, that I could just, you know, do the work that I feel like I'm really, you know, here to do, um, but I'm realizing that I, you know, my inability to delegate is really keeping me focused on the things that I'm not the best at and aren't really aligned with why I'm doing this. Yeah. It's part of it, but it's not the thing I'm spending most of my time on is not the thing. It's just a Correct. piece. Of it. Correct. hundred percent. And good on you for making that connection. And just to bring it back to the big leap, right? Cause you mentioned that before at best you're operating in your zone of excellence, not in your zone of genius, mm -hmm. right? Potentially for certain things might even be lower than that. Like there's the things that I have to do, but let's just say at best, I'm in my zone of, of, of excellence. I don't really like this. this. Isn't really me. It's not my visionary. It's not my full creative self, but I'm good at it. I can like, I'll do it, but it's not the part that lights you up to create the lighthouse. Right. Yeah, it, it's almost like the vehicle um, that gets me there. Because my favorite part is the the coaching at the end over, you know, like I, I do love solving the problem um, of, of the technical challenges. But the part that I think, I hope will be my legacy is not <laughs> a bunch of funnels. It'll hopefully be, you know, um, I'd like to, you know, host events and, and conferences and um, I have a history of public speaking and performance, and I'd really like to start to bring that into my work 
Yes. And even again, as you speak, like the, 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 that's where the passion is, mm-hmm. right? You like, it, it's clear, you know, the funnels, but like the passion is in what you just said, mm-hmm. the coaching, seeing the transformation, the public speaking, the, the, the building, the visionary bits, right? It's a beautiful thing. And what's standing in the way is if I have to keep doing everything, I can't, there's not enough space mentally, physically, energetically for me to make that happen. Yeah. And I I think the big thing that comes up for me there is just, there's a little voice in my head that says, you don't get to do that. That's not a thing for you. Like that's, that's Grant Cardone. He gets to go do that, but not you. You don't get to do things like this. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to notice that voice is there, even though I don't really consciously reckon with that very much. It's, it's definitely like I hear it in my, in my brain. Got it. So again, great awareness, right? So one aspect now of this is we finally got to a real part of you, the Mm -hmm. one that isn't talking about creating from desperation, but actually alludes to your inspiration. So one part that now comes up is, well, who are you to really make? Like that's, that's grand card dome. Like you have to be a big person to like do that. So, you know, limiting aspect of self coming into the living room, number one. Mm -hmm. So when you look at everything that we have talked about today, illuminated, whatever you want to call it, what parts of you are standing in the way of really stepping into your zone of genius? I think it's partly the the part that doesn't want to delegate because I need everything to be done the way I want it done. And um, I haven't prioritized finding someone I can trust to help me with the parts that I can, can you know, describe accurately. Um, I keep hiring early career people who I love dearly, but I might need to hire someone with a bit more experience. Um, so I would say, you know, that part, um, and the other part that's standing up, standing in the way is just, I mean, the, the fear that I'm not good enough to do the things I see or the things I want, that makes sense. So is it to see or to get or both the things that I want? I, to, to get them like, oh, I can dream about it all day, but you know, I'm, I'm a wacky weirdo who has all these crazy ideas, but you know, that's, you know, that's a pie in the sky, ungrounded nonsense. That's never going to happen. And I'll end up having to get another corporate tech job in six months when all of this blows up, you know, that's, that's kind of what my, it, like, if I go all in on that dream, it's a, it's a fast track to failure is what my, my brain tells me. Right. So I've lost even before I started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't even bother trying to do that thing. Like just build funnels because people will pay you for that. Sure. No, that's a great way to make your vision a a reality if it's Mm -hmm. it's just a dream, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what about, so, okay, you've mentioned three now, right? So there's one voice that says, well, you don't, like, you're not grand condone. Like, who are you? Essentially the imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. that's stopping you from your vision, right? Then there's a more surface level part that like you recognize, well, I just don't want to delegate. Or doesn't want to, doesn't feel say like whatever that the specifics of the wording are, but delegation, fear that I'm not good enough to actually make my dreams come true. What about the aspects of the trust? How do you think that stops you from creating your vision? I think even though there's no logical evidence to support it, I'm afraid that if I take a risk, 
and fail, um, that I will, that everyone I love will leave. Okay. So that one is more the trust wounding of the support systems, right? Mm -hmm. If I have evidence, like what we talked about in the past. So now it's, well, if I take a risk and go all in my dream, I'm not just risking failure again. I already have some baggage from that. I'm actually risking my tribe, right? A primal level, my tribe, the people that really matter to me, they're going to leave me as well. So, which I logically, I don't think is true, but I can feel that fear is the hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And fear of success is never logical. Mm -hmm. it, it is actually the fear of loss. It's not, it's not a fear of the gain of success. We're, we're all for that. It is what do I feel like emotionally I might lose on the path there. So mm -hmm. for you, the, 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 the emotional logic is I'll risk losing my family. Like the people that I do have now that I trust. Correct. Like yeah. So however you want to define right. that, that, that's what I meant. Yes. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Okay. Um, anything else as far as, cause the other part, like I'm just kind of reading through my notes here, mm -hmm. right? So the vigilance that kind of, in my opinion, falls in line with all of these, like you can be vigilant about the trust. You can be vigilant about the delegation. You can be vigilant about it's never going to work out. Mm -hmm. I'm always circling. That's just the pattern of it. Um, but the sense of running from your weaknesses, like that's why I work so hard. How do you think that impacts where you want to go? I think that I am so tired from covering all my bases alone that I am not even that effective at the things that I do um, because I don't give myself breaks, if that makes sense. Yes, it's diminishing returns of trying to spin all the wheels. I agree. So yeah, so there you have about, so what is like four, five kind of key, big head trash patterns that are standing in the way of that beautiful vision. Um, do you feel like that's complete as far as like mapping that out or is still something left outstanding? Hmm. I think that's, that's pretty, pretty much all of it. The only one that comes up, which still goes into the, it couldn't be me bucket is like, I, you know, I talk every day about how if we don't see people like us in the room, we need to go in the room or we need to get on the stage or we need to write the book or, or whatever. And I think there's still a vulnerability that I have to recognize of like, there's, there's not anybody who looks like me who is uh, an entrepreneurial leader. And it is kind of, you know, it's, it just hasn't been done. And so there's a, there's a part that's like, I do wish I had a role model. And that's part of why I'm motivated. It's like, well, hopefully if I can get there, then somebody else will come after me and be like, well, if Chuck did it. I can do it. Um, but it's still scary to be the first person who's like hacking, hacking through with a machete. And you don't know if there's going to be a, you know, God knows what around the corner when you're, when you're cutting a new path. Sure. And there's a part of that. That's actually vision, right? Like the, the vision is, well, I don't have a role model that's like me that's on these big stages, but I can be that role model. So that to me is like that the vision aspect and again, energy right away goes up. Beautiful. What's the current paradigm or hindrance to that? Mm, I would say 
part of it is that I've reached out to some people about speaking and I have gotten crickets. Um, but some people have said yes, and we're going to move forward with doing some of these things. And so I think it's still getting steelier to that rejection and knowing that not every space wants me in it and that's okay. Got it. So surface level tactical thing. Okay. Well, yeah, I just got to, you know, reach out, talk to more people. Some will say yes. Some will say no. Cool. You get that. Now bring it back to the hundred percent you do control. Okay. So what what is that reflecting about me? That mm -hmm. the hesitation in getting onto those stages. Because right now that hesitation is slightly bigger than the vision. So it wins over more often. So what how would you define the hesitation in your words? Uh I think part of it is that I've just moved to a new area. Um, it's a lot more conservative than where I was before. And uh I haven't gotten on any stages here. And I'm a little bit afraid, <laughs> even though, you know, everyone's been really nice uh, so far. I think there's a part of me that uh, just thinks that I'll just be the lone weirdo up here and uh, and continue to be misunderstood like I was as a kid and sort of ostracized, even though, yeah, like I said, logically, I don't I don't think I actually think that. But in the hesitation, I think that's what's in there. 100 percent. Right. And that's. Let's just say an extension of that fear of I'm not good enough, right? Like in this instance, it's coming out as a visibility fear. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you have previous evidence to support it. So now it comes back to, okay, even though that's true, it's not really useful for what I want. Now I can begin to, to, to heal and do the work for that. So does that resonate with you? I'd say so, yeah. And hearing what you said that the, the hesitation is bigger than the vision right now um, is a really good visual that I... I, I like thinking about. Perfect. Yeah. So you're glad that that resonates with you. So obviously we can't, you know, solve all of these things on this one call. Um, so this was more for me to just help you kind of map out exactly what's standing in the way of your vision and then who you have to become and what you have to overcome to get that from the inner perspective. Cause I mean, tactically, like, you know, all this stuff, like I don't, you know, like you build the tactics for other people, like you're, you're mm -hmm. going to be able to figure that out. So um, does that feel complete for you or is there still something left outstanding? I, I think that that's, it, I think it's a really good, um, almost like dumping out the, the, the backpack and being like, oh God, when's the last time I had gum? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just all the stuff and you look at it and you're like, okay, well now I, now I can kind of do something with this. Yep. hundred percent. So yeah, I appreciate you for, coming on in this way and practicing, you know, that courage and, and vulnerability muscle. Um, so yeah, if you can then just summarize in your own words, you know, you came in here thinking this was the issue or this was present. What are you aware of, you know, after we've had this conversation? I think to take it back to that bonfire metaphor, the big thing is that I think I have a bonfire and I still see it as a tiny little match that I have to keep lit. And if I can, you know, sort of consciously uh, align myself to the present where things are okay and I do have enough, then I can start to dream a little bit bigger and um, be a little bit less myopic about um, protecting myself. Absolutely. And that's where the, the lighthouse lies. So it's, it's a beautiful way to, to summarize it. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. And then if you can just close us off and let everybody know 
who to like who's the best person to find you where can they find you floor is yours for that yeah well you're catching me on the right day because i've officially uh launched my rebrand um so you can find me under chuck copenspire anywhere but um magical weirdo is what i'm leading with so if you're a magical weirdo and you want to brainstorm with other magical weirdos we have a community um, if you have an idea you want to bring to life, but the technical challenges or the sales and marketing uh, makes you nauseous, come to me, I'll fix it and I'll help. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to you for letting me speak with you and your audience today. And I had a great time. You're very welcome. And uh, yeah, like I said, thank you for coming on to do this because it's not everybody's cup of tea. So uh, I appreciate you for that. And uh, obviously we'll include all those links in the show notes. Uh, but for everybody else listening, um, we'll see you on the next one.